Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. All right, how's everyone doing today? Good. You guys hear me? Doing good. Yes. Awesome. It's it's great to get the band back together. <laughs> Been uh, missing some of you guys. Good to yeah, see you all. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, so yes, we have a puppy. Uh, as some of you guys know, there's a little bit of a puppy pandemonium going on here in uh, the Zito household. Dwight Harbin, when when, uh, when your dog was a puppy, did you guys have some puppy pandemonium going on? Well, we got ours at uh, about 16, uh, 14 months. Ah. So she was a little bit on the more trained side, but she just heard your puppy having issues. And so she was being empathetic, whining, jumping around going, oh, no, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. And Huskies are very dramatic to begin with. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I had a, I had a husky uh, growing up, and it's always like they're they're trying to get some type of Academy Award <laughs> for their reactions. It's like it's really not that bad. You're you're really okay. So cool, guys! Excited to have you guys here. I'm not sure if Andre's here yet. Uh, Andre, you there? All right, sounds good. Hopefully, he will join us soon. So if you are just joining us, if you're just finding us out there somewhere in Facebook land uh, or YouTube land, uh, you don't want to know, you know, what is this? What's going on? This is our summer of scripture. We are in the middle of our summer of Saul. Uh, it's the first time ever we've done something like this. We have some Sunday seminars where we get together with some awesome Bible nerds. Yes, there is such a thing as cool Bible nerds. You can be both a nerd and cool. David's looking around like he doesn't know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about you, buddy. You're a Bible nerd. And also cool, like the rest of us. Uh, We have these Sunday seminars where we get together and we talk about the scriptures. We've been doing a deep dive into uh, the Apostle Paul, and we're starting our deep dive into the book of Ephesians. Today is our second part of Ephesians. We've already finished the first part, which was last week. So we're diving into part two here now. So if you're just joining us, be, you know, you don't really need to go back and listen to everything, uh, but you can, and uh, that's, that'd be great. You'll be more caught up, but you will, I think, get a lot out of what we're doing here together uh, with or without um, what's going on. You guys want to meet my puppy? Sure. This is the puppy. This is her. Right here, well, all bundle of joy and uh, chaos. Yeah, her name is Poppy. I think I'm going to name her Chaos. Yeah. Rename her uh, something, or maybe I was actually thinking about renaming her Cat, just to be ironic. 
Oh. <laughs> I'm back here. Oh. <laughs> be like, why'd you name your dog Cat? I'd be like, why not? And just move on. Our summer reading list. We are doing our summer reading. Uh, hopefully you've been following along with the reading. If you've been following along with us, we are now into How God Became King with N.T. Wright. It's an N.T. Wright kind of summer. Uh, we've been really getting into his stuff. The other thing that we've been doing, we're doing some scripture journaling. I have mine here. I already started, uh, you know, getting into it, writing some notes. I updated some notes uh, from what we did last week. I'll probably go in um, again uh, next week and update some of the stuff we've done today. It's a great way of just engaging the scriptures. So if you if you've purchased your scripture journal or if you have a Bible that you're fine writing on, get out the pens, get out the the pencils. Uh, and um, just really get into it and do some cool things. You can get it both in the illuminated or the black. And once again, as always, uh, you know, thank you so much. If you would like to support us, we have a Patreon now. That's where you can support us. But all right, let's get right into it. Ephesians part two. We are getting into it. You guys are going to need Bible with you. Uh, we will be looking at lots of scripture today. Uh, it should be really, really fun. Quick review, if, we just, if you're just coming in, uh, we did, yeah, quick review if you're just coming in with us. Uh, last week, we talked about how this is one of the prison letters. Paul is writing from prison. Uh, we talked about how a lot of the important manuscripts are missing in Ephesus. So this letter was most likely what you would call an encyclical, which kind of circulated throughout the region. Uh, it may have even been the letter to the Laodiceans, as you know, some early Christian writers thought. But you know, it was more likely a letter that kind of circulated in the entire region. We talked about the definition of holy ones, and the opening lines and says to the saints in Ephesus, it really means the holy ones. That's the language there that's behind it. Holy ones could either mean Israel, Israel at its best, or divine beings like the heavenly host. Uh, spiritual beings that had not rebelled against Yahweh, against God, and who were considered part of the divine council. We talked about you. We talked about, yeah, you. I'm looking at you. We talked about how every time you read you in Ephesians, you really should be reading out loud, you all. Or if you want to get Texan, you can do y'all. We gave a challenge for you know you guys to read it out loud in one sitting. Just take, uh, just take a few few moments, few minutes. You guys can even do it if you haven't done it. It's really a good practice to read it at least once every week as we're going through this. And as you read it aloud, instead of whenever you encounter you, read you all or y'all. Uh, we talked about how the letter to the Ephesians is unique because it's missing Paul's purpose, right? You get the prescript and then you're like, okay, why did he write this letter? To Thessalonians, right? One Thessalonians. It's like, oh, I'm so glad that you're alive. I heard that you, you could be dead, you know? And Philippians, thank you so much for that generous gift, right? Uh, Romans, letter of introduction. You know, I really, I really wanted to come see you, but I haven't been able to yet. Uh, but in Ephesians, we're missing the purpose until we go to chapter three. Opening lines there, and we find out Paul's surprising purpose is that uh, you know he's had an apocalypse. Whenever you read Revelation, you want to read apocalypse. Uh, that this mystery has been revealed to him, and that the Gentiles. And God's people are now one. Jews have now come together. 
Uh, and that was the surprising, um, you know, conclusion that we kind of had uh, the purpose of why Paul wrote this. And as we'll see, this is kind of all over the place. I have a quick uh, question uh, for you guys. I want to know, did anyone actually take the challenge and read Ephesians out loud in one sitting? I want to see if anyone actually, even if, okay, awesome. Even if it wasn't for this challenge, if you've ever done it before. And the question I wanted to ask, uh, how was that experience? How was that experience for you reading it all in one sitting? Dwight, I saw you raise your hand. It was amazing how fast it went. Mm. It was not a long letter. Um, yep. It was very cohesive, um, but it, to me, it was just amazing how fast this could have been read in a in a congregational setting. Yeah, absolutely. When you were reading it, did every time you hit a U, did you remember to go y'all or you all? Oh yes, oh okay. yes. Did that? And it, there was a lot of y'alls in there. <laughs> did you happen to record it with a cowboy hat on a with a backdrop of Montana, Montana behind you, Wyoming? No, more of you know, in a southern sense, with a <laughs> piece of straw in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Extra points, you know, if, if one of you guys want to do that. Yes. Uh, did uh, changing the you to you all, did that change anything for you, Dwight? Did it hit a little different when you read some of the things? Well, um, okay, thinking about, okay, it was, it was taught to a congregational, in a congregational setting. Mm -hmm. But still, I feel like it's still got some foundational purpose to it. Um, okay, it was written. Uh, in occasional, for an occasional reason, but there's still foundational purpose. So yes and no. Um, I still feel like there's some things that I can take away as good for me, you know, that I can get personal good at out of it, but yet I can see where it was uh, occasional for them, but with a good foundational uh, thing that anybody could could take away. Does it? Yeah, that's what I came away with. Cool. No, that was great. Has anyone else ever read it in one sitting and uh, would like to share how that's affected them or how they've learned to read it differently? I mean, it's been, you know, years um, since, since I used to read a lot of those out loud in one sitting. Um, gotcha. I think there's, a, but there's a very organic connection that comes, uh, and I think um, just I think I think being the one speaking it out loud, there. I mean, probably not even what you're wanting to, to hear, but I think there's mm -hmm. there's something different about speaking this whole thing rather than just reading it. Uh, there's a different connection to it that I, I found and enjoyed, um, uh, and I, so that's the thing I, I remember. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. Great, but I also awesome. think I don't. I'm sorry. I also, Good but course. also like, I do listen a lot of times to like mm. this these, these in one sitting. So I, I always envision myself like being the audience mem member, and I always feel like I catch the themes so much more when I listen to it in one sitting because it's so fast. I'll remember, hey, he might have said that in in this chapter, and he said that before, and wait, he said this again. Like, and it's harder to catch that as often, at least for me, when I'm when I'm reading it, especially if it's not one sitting. Yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah, I, I do feel like 
what you're saying is really true and uh, about being an audience member. And uh, I do feel like there's a, there's a great opportunity for a lot of, especially these letters of Paul, like, you know, the, the shorter ones that can kind of be read in like 15, 20 minutes or so, or uh, mm. even the longer one, like, a, you know, like Romans or first, second Corinthians to have like a trained speaker actually perform it as if they were reading it to the original, uh, you know, hearers. I just, I think that'd be really cool. Um, and I think there's, there'd be a great opportunity for that. I would love to go to a performance like that where, you know, no commentary, no, uh, no preaching, just, just getting to hear it and experience it the way, uh, you know, they would have back when the letter was first written and maybe have like a question and response time after, which I'm sure they did <laughs> back in the day as well. So cool. Awesome, guys. If you haven't done it, it's not too late. You can go for it. So we're going to look at the macro st structure uh, of Ephesians 1 through 3. So that's something for you guys to, you want to, if you have a Bible with you now, now's the time you want to pull it out and just kind of, just kind of go through it. I did share some things in the chat. Uh, you guys don't need to worry about that now. Uh, if you've already pulled it up, that's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking about that in a little while. So remember last week we talked about the apocalypse, the apocalypse being like a literal or a metaphorical revealing or something, not the end of the world. This isn't, you know, Bruce Willis riding on an asteroid about to blow it up, you know, with a nuclear bomb because the world's about to end. That's not what they, that's not what they meant when they, when they said, or they used the word apocalypse in the Bible, they meant like an uncovering, right? At a place where heaven and earth come together and someone on earth is able to see what's going on in heaven. So what was concealed is now revealed. And Paul experienced such an apocalypse on his road to Damascus, when some people would call it a conversion, right? So we talked about that again last week as well. That it wasn't really a conversion so much as it was a transformation. Paul had an experience of an apocalypse, like he talks about in chapter three, where he states his purpose. And um, that apocalypse made him realize you know, a lot of things were different about the way he he was reading or the way he was interpreting Israel's story, right? So it changed everything. So now going through, uh, we want to look now. So we talked about how that part is right in the middle, and that that was strange with the way you would typically write a letter. We talked a little bit about rhetoric when we were introducing Paul and about how to write these types of letters. So it's strange that it would be there. Uh, so now we want to kind of widen our focus and be, okay, is there any other larger focus? We're going to just focus on Ephesians 1 through 3 this week, and then we're going to go and we're going to talk about uh, the rest of the letter at another time. So the first thing you want to do is you want to look at Ephesians, and then, you know, if you were doing this on your own, you'd probably want to spend an hour by yourself, uh, either make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or uh, pour a strong drink, depending on your Bible, uh, you know, interpretation style, uh, I guess, you know, depending on the day too. And you would want to kind of just re read and reread Ephesians multiple times until things started coming, coming out at you. So the first thing we're going to notice is in verse three of chapter one, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. Uh, lost my place. Sons through as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glorious grace and with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So some of the things you, you want to notice as you're, you're reading through this, what, what kind of language does it sound like Paul's using here? And remember, we want to, we want to give ourselves permission just to, you know, really read it. I know we've probably heard this many, many times before. But what, what does it kind of sound to you as we read it together? Does it sound like a story? Does it sound like prose discourse? Does it sound like a song or a psalm? Kind of reminds me of like a um, like a song or a psalm, like songish. Yeah. Like it's got the same vibe of some of the stuff I've seen in the Old Testament a lot too. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, this this could almost be like Paul's like ripping off one of the Psalms here, right? You know, blessed be, you know, like a lot of Psalms begin that way. So it begins with a song, right? And Ephesians 1 through 4 through 14 is basically one long sentence in Greek, which is kind of cool. If you go through your Bible translation and if anywhere in verses 1 through 14 if you see a period, you have permission to scratch that period out and add a comma because there isn't anything there. It's just one long sentence. Um, and that's, that's could be important. So it's a, it's basically a victory song to the father, son, and the spirit, right? Ephesians one through 14. And then, you know, you could say to yourself, okay, so between chapters one and chapter three, is there any other song of praise? Is there anything else? And what you'll find in Ephesians three verse Wayne, you'll find another one. Some people have called this Paul's doxology, right? You know, the father and the son. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in mm -hmm. Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So now you're looking at, you have two songs of praise, Right kind of put at opposite ends of a big section, right? We talked about how, you know, Ephesians 1 through 3 is kind of comprehending Paul's apocalypse, and then 4 through 6 is the response. So you have one at the beginning of the letter and one that comes at the end. So what you're seeing here is you're seeing some type of pattern. So if you have your uh, Bible note-taking tools with you, now would be a good time to... Bracket those. Uh, if you're using different colors, you know, you, you maybe want to bracket them in, in the same color because it's two songs of praise at either end. And then when you get to the end of verse 14, you want to be, okay, what, what's here? And in verse 15, it says in chapter one again, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you and all my prayers. So from 15 to 21, you have basically Paul's prayer. It's his prayer journal. He's telling you, this is what I'm praying for, right? And he's praying for an apocalypse of power. He wants them to have an apocalypse, just like he's had, right? He wants these things to be revealed to him. So that, I wonder if, 
before that final song of praise if there's another prayer. And you can just go there in in chapter 3, verse 14, and it's right there. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, and again, we have another prayer that kind of ends this up. So, okay, the first one maybe was a coincidence, but now we're, we're starting to see we're starting to see some intelligent life here. We're starting to see somebody who's constructed something very, very carefully. So again, if you're taking notes, you'd want to you'd want to circle those prayers. The first prayer in chapter one, 15 to 21, and the second prayer in chapter three, verses 14 to 19. And I sent you guys a handy uh, document that kind of lays all that out. But, you know, it's also fun to see, hey, it's some of the stuff that we can discover together. So then after the prayer, right, so in the first prayer, that'd be 15 to 21, I want to be like, okay, what what's there? And Paul basically, he tells the same story in two different ways, right? The first one in uh, chapter 2 from 1 to 10 is rescued from death and the ruler of the age or this age. Right. So that's the first na- little narrative that it gives you in, t- in chapter two, verses one to ten. The second one is talking in verse is 11 to 18 in the same chapter, chapter two, rescued from hostility and alienation from God's family. So we get these two little narratives that we were rescued from death and we were also rescued, rescued from hostility and alienations from God's family. So he's putting those two things together. So they seem to be, you know, correlated somehow. Uh, being rescued from death is the same as being rescued from alienation and God's family. So that's, those are two big block narratives there. You can go back before the prayer uh, in chapter three and be okay. Well, is there another story there as well? And there is. There's Paul's story, right? Right in chapter three, verses one through 13. We went over this again a little bit more last week, but Paul talking about, I'm a prisoner, He's in the imprisoned apostle of the messianic apocalypse. So here again, we have, you know, another short little biography, short little narrative. And this time Paul is in prison. So in the first ones, right, we're in prison to death. We're in prison to hostility from being alienated from God's people. And the other little narrative is being rescued from, you know, Paul is actually physically in prison. He's actually in prison, right? And then you're like, okay, so what's in the center? What's in the center of all this? And in the center of all this is in chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. Okay, big deal in all of Paul's writings, especially in the letter to the Ephesians. But fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So that, if you're if you're taking notes in your Bible right now, you want to circle that, that is the center. We have a classic chiastic structure here, right? This is something that I know a lot of you guys are familiar with. Um, it's not exclusive to the Bible. Uh, ancient literature loved this, right? The Hebrew Bible especially loved this, and they took it to a next level. 
A lot of ancient writers also wrote like this. Paul was trained in rhetoric. So he was familiar of, you know, and how to construct these types of arguments. And he also grew up, you know, on the Hebrew scriptures, hearing his mom sing Psalms, talking about it over the fire, right? Going to school or the equivalent of, of school, right? Where he would learn to memorize all this. He had a lot of the text in his head. So that would be the center. So the most important thing for Paul in Ephesians chapter one to three, right? The center of all this, and this is the center, you know, literally and metaphorically, it's the center of this section. We have all these different bookmarks kind of coming together. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's right here. I also have this for you guys here, and this is the handout that I sent you guys, okay? Um, it has the other side of it as well, but if you kind of just focus in here on what it is, and if anyone has trouble with the links, you can always, you know, shoot me a text later and I can, I can make sure that you're able to get that. You have the whole chiastic structure right here for you to see. And so for Paul, the most important thing that's on his mind that, you know, th this is the reason why he's writing this letter is because, you know, the temple, the temples come back and surprise, surprise, the temple is us. The, you know, the foundation is the apostles right? And the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. I just finished um, my paper on the book. I, I did a theological term paper on the book of Ezekiel. I'm almost thinking of doing something like this with the book of Ezekiel one day. Uh, and, you know, it really kind of helped me even with this class because Ezekiel is all about the temple, you know, especially when it has that turning point after chapter 33, where, you know, up until chapter 33, it's all doom and gloom, but it, you know, it finishes with the new temple and God's spirit coming back. And as we talked about when we were going through our intro to Paul, that was the major issue with Israel back in the land. They rebuilt the temple, but the spirit of God had never returned. This, you know, the spirit of God left at the beginning of Ezekiel that kind of closes out our major prophets and it never came back. It was predicted to come back. Ezekiel lists all of these amazing things going to happen when it does come back, uh, but it never does. So here, you know, to Paul, he's getting super excited about the temple, you know, and that we get to be part of that temple. So I just think that's kind of cool just to camp out on uh, and to just like talk about a little bit um, because I think it's not something that's intuitive, if you were going to share Christianity with somebody, you know, I, I very much doubt that the first words out of your mouth would be like, you know, come join with us. You get to be a temple. You know, they'll probably look at you like there's something wrong with you or, you know, kind of the things that, you know, I think most of us can think about on a day to day basis. I don't think many of us do think about like the temple and how we're the temple and, you know, how that changes things. So, Let's have a quick discussion. So this is a classic, classic chiastic structure. Try saying that five times fast. That is the bread and butter of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. New Testament authors love this as well. Uh, so my question for you guys is, does noticing this structure change anything for how you read this letter? So we kind of just spent about 20 minutes here going over the structure. Does that help you at all when you read this letter? Yeah, um, I think that when you realize that there's this this structure and there is 
a specific uh, focal point, it it uh, to me it just it, it helps me in in my own head organize well what's important here. There's a lot of things that are important in in this letter, but what is the most important important thing? Yep. And so uh, to me, when when I read this and you say and I get to to this spot here where it says, okay, well, this is, this was, this is it guys. This is the most important part of everything I have been talking about for the last, I don't know how long would it take to read uh, the 10 minutes to read, to read up to this point. Um, this is the part, this is the, the, the thing that I want to drive home, right. you know? And so when I read that, I say, well, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and um, I'm not going to say, not spend time on it, but I, I'm not going to worry as much as to the other parts as I am going to worry about what what they think, what the writer thinks is the most important, right? Uh, and so that's when we get to this point here. Yeah. So yeah, it does change how, how I read it. Cool. I, Anyone else? I think for me, you know, knowing how so much of the other parts of the Old Testament are written and the structure, and given that Paul is a Jew of Jews, and that he's going to be using this, and it'll even help me read other letters in the same, and it'll help zero in on you know, what he's really getting at. It'll definitely help me, you know, look at what the main point is, and if there are other main issues that he's looking at, it definitely helps me. I I never thought about it that way. I never, you know, it, it just opens up something for me. So I, I really appreciate that. It, I mean, wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. Yeah, it hits different when you realize that. Yeah. 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 It's good. Yeah, I, mean, I think, I mean, just to, what they just said is perfect. Yeah. It's just, because um, now um, I start to focus on, okay, why is this important? Which, you know, obviously I've been, yeah. exposed to this temple stuff for a while, but like yeah. it takes these scriptures that you, you've heard for a long time and it just rearranges them uh, into this other way of looking at it. And then you kind of go like, oh, wow, like this is bigger. This is fuller. This mm -hmm. is different. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, then it makes me kind of also wonder, well, what do the correlating parts, what, what, what do they have to do with each other? And where are they pointing to? Um, so yeah, absolutely. It totally changes the way you look at these. I think that the challenge is um, for someone like me is like to not have someone who studied this for a very long time point out these chiasms or these themes, like mm -hmm. it takes longer to kind of notice them on your own. Even if like we are doing that, like it's kind of cool because it gets exciting. Yeah. But then there's always like this, this little bit of guesswork where you're like, Hey man, I think I found something. What do you think? And then usually every time I do that, it's usually like someone's like, Oh, that's nothing. That's oh, wow. one giant chiasm. And you're like, Oh, how did I miss that? And so like, I think like that's the part that's hard is kind of like, Oh, like the whole book of Matthew's a chiasm. And you're like, what? You know, it's like, so yeah. how do you know where, when to like, get that like, accompaniment to be like, Hey, I want to know, I want to understand it even more because we're just picking up on these little clues because we're not trained that way. Sure. Um, that, yeah. That's the kind of thing. It's exciting. You know? Yeah. You know, I don't know if you guys, this is going to 
go on a little aside here, but when I was a teenager, this book came out called the Bible code. Oh, and uh, it was all like, they took the Bible in the original Hebrew and they ran it through a computer and uh, they noticed all these patterns and they were trying to predict like presidential elections and they were trying to predict like who's going to win the Super Bowl and all types of like crazy. And for like a good, like three months, I was like, Oh, this is so cool. This is going to change everything. But really, you know, fairly quickly I realized, okay, like human beings are just really good at spotting patterns that that's what we do. You know, we look up into a night sky and we, we don't just see little dots of light. We see dragons, we see monsters and we see warriors. And uh, so I hear what you're saying, Nick, but one thing that um, you actually told me this recently that that's kind of helped me put things in perspective is that when you notice stuff like this, just tapping into the research, because there's been like hundreds of years of people like looking at this stuff and just, okay, did I do the math correctly? I think is the way you said it. Like, you know, and if other people are noticing this, it's, it's probably actually there, <laughs> you know, yeah. but if I'm the first person ever to notice this, I, I definitely need to check the math a little bit longer <laughs> here. So, you know, I think that that really helps me as well, but cool. Um, the, the final question I have with this is, this is something I've kind of been wrestling with because, you know, there is a way of reading the Bible where it's very like, it's just very devotional and it's very just like, I'm going to spend my time with the scriptures, like 20 minutes in the morning. I'm going to let it wash over me. I'm going to let just, you know, let whatever speaks to me, speak to me. And that that's the meaning I'm going to derive from the text. Uh, but for me, like, since this was, these types of structures were pointed out to me, it, it's kind of like put me on the fence. It's like, I'm not sure if that's necessary, if I'm okay with that. You know, I know I'm not okay with that in my own life, just reading the Bible and, you know, just letting it hit me and then just going out and making decisions based on the way it hits me without saying, okay, is there actually some type of intentional structure here? But, but what do you guys think? Um, is this important for people to know? Is this important for people to be reading this, this way? Or is this just something that it's, it's cool, but it's not really for everybody? Go for it. I'll just go for it. I think one of the challenges that I see a lot of, and I can only speak for like Western evangelical Christianity or our specific uh, church, you know, culture that we've been a part of is um, I think there's a lot of insecurity that people have in their relationship mm. with God um, because of the way that they view the scriptures, the way they might view things like atonement or the way that they, you know, view original sin from Genesis 3, even though we, you know, we don't think of it maybe like one particular denomination does, but we kind of think like, okay, you know, Adam and Eve ate an apple, and now we're all, you know, jacked up as a result of it. So I think there's so much insecurity that people are struggling with as far as, like, is God okay with me, hmm. you know? Because um, it's kind of like, oh, God, you know, I'm sorry if I'm going to say, but like, God has to send you to hell because you sinned. But Jesus is going to pay the price. But if you don't follow Jesus exactly right, he might just throw you back into hell. <laughs> so people never have this, this sense of security. So then what ends up happening is, is since we all fall short, we all end up not living up to whatever standard we choose for ourselves. It doesn't matter. You sure. choose your standard. You won't live up to it eventually. Um, yep. Then devotionals end up being the thing that allow people to feel confident that God's okay with them. And I think as you start to grow in trusting God and understanding, at least for me, since I've grown to understand that God actually loves me for who I am and he's not surprised um, 
And that's what I see in Jesus, the acceptance. I mean, so many times he like accepts people first, forgives them first, and then they change. Mm-hmm. Like it's always a response to his love. Then I'm not, I don't need all these devotionals to always tell me Jesus loves me and God's okay with me. Mm-hmm. Then I can actually focus more on these nuances and see this bigger thing. Like it's not even that I'm a temple. It's that we're all one temple, which is fascinating. So I think that that has a lot to do with why people, um, I can't speak for you guys, but I, I can speak for a lot of people that I interact with. That's why the devotional feels so needed because people are struggling all the time with guilt and fear and worry and just not being able to accept themselves for who they are, thinking God doesn't accept themselves, accept them for who they are. So I think that that just is a huge distraction to really seeing the big picture. And, it, and that's why I think it's so prevalent. Okay, cool. Um, you know, I, I, I look at it from a little bit of a different point of view. I, I feel like uh, one of the reasons that I, I'm so confident that the Bible is God-inspired is because it works on so many different levels. And you don't necessarily have to discard one to make the other Absolutely. the other level work. Right, right, Nick? Like you said. Uh, but... Uh, so for a lot of people, it it's needed and and it it helps them connect to God. Uh, and I shouldn't even say them; it helps me because it's the same passages, it's the same scriptures. I'll read it sometimes because I need just I need go- like to hear God's word. Uh, and then sometimes it's moments like this where I'm like, "Wow, this is." awesome look there's a, there's a chiasm and in the, and i i'm learning more and i can you know this phrase here uh, is harking back to something that was way over here in, in the old testament and I, I can and i can make the connections and i and i can dive deeper in, into those but there are times where uh, you know like nick said maybe maybe it, it's insecurity or maybe i'm just i'm hurt or maybe i'm 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 i just need to connect myself to, to God's word. And then that's those devotional type of reading helps. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, we, we call ourselves Bible nerds, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for the record, I do not. Yeah. Yeah. You are David. Yeah, you are. But the, the thing is, do you have to be a Bible nerd in order to have this to be so important to, to have it be okay you know, for everybody. But the thing is, in order to understand this, do you have to be a Bible nerd? Uh, you know, that I, I'm, I'm wondering, is this the question you're asking? Mm. You know, do you have to be comfortable with that in order to, to be able to understand it? And I don't think that's necessarily true. You know, he's trying to deal with an issue, but again, it's to me again, even though they're struggling with the fact that, hey, the Jews and the Gentiles are coming together, but the thing is, we are all being put together, and the Holy Temple. The thing is, we are all coming together, and you know, today, no matter where we are, and in our society, you know, we've got issues with people coming from all kinds of faiths, from all kinds of cultures, from everything. Again. I hate to say it over and over again, it's a foundational truth that even though this is an occasional thing for them that was pointedly for what was happening, 
the reason I think we still had this letter from Paul, that it was passed down and we still have it. I know it was canonized and there's certain issues with the canonization of things, but it's still in our hands is because it's still relevant yeah. today. So, yeah, again, inspired. Why do we have it? You know, I believe, you know, it's, it's still a spiritual truth. So there you have it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I add on that, Jimmy? Atomization. Um, go ahead. Go for it. No, because I, I think, like, I think your question was, do people need to know this? Right. Yeah. Because I think if we're kind of, if we're more into the Bible, then we might have different reasons for going to the Bible. But sure. a lot, like the average Christian that I come in contact, that I mentor, that I preach to, like they don't know this. They actually need the story to mm. be presented to them because it's not been presented as a story. Hmm. It's been presented yeah. as something different. And then a lot of the people that I counsel and, 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 and preach to and everything, yeah. they, you know, they at least, you know, for a while I've been trying to work on that. They're still wrestling with these very basic things. Maybe not people like us, sure. but a lot more of the average member, they're still wrestling with those same type of things. So when you present this big story and then how it all works together, I think it changes the way a lot of people will actually look at the Bible, look at God, look at themselves then, of course, I completely agree with Dwight and um, David. First of all, yes, it's multi-layered and fast. That's what makes it so amazing. You know, the rabbis say it's like a gem and you turn it. And then as soon as the light hits it differently, there's a million other ways to look at it. You know, I yeah. agree. And then I think it is inspired because it is practical. Yep. But I think, but, mm -hmm. but if you miss the big story, then, then you miss the big picture. You only get stuck on certain practicals. Sure. And I think, so you, your question to me was, do people need to know this? And I would say slowly, mm. layer at a time, they need to be revealed to them um, to see it as something bigger. Because I, I never got that in 20-something years that I was going to a particular church. I just got the same thing, the same one way of looking at it for so long. So I think that they do need to hear it. We just need to give it to them at the pace that's healthy for them to see it. And I think it still is practical and useful. And yeah, you can get a great thing out of a quiet time, but I just know so many people that are on this performance treadmill and they're having a quiet time just to feel like they're okay. Hmm. Yeah. Well, can I just one last thing? I think that the group of people that, that you, that you have here as well um, are, are all pretty open to what the scriptures say and, and, and accepting what the scriptures are actually saying as opposed to bringing our own ideas and say, okay, how can the scriptures fit the ideas that I already have in my head? So if, if I'm the kind of individual who, who thinks that my particular church or my particular congregation is like the way and everybody else is, is all is damned or, or, or whatever. Um, yeah. And I, and then this gets presented to me and I read and it says for all of us are being built as a temple, all of us, what? I don't want to hear that. Mm. <laughs> and, I'm, and, I'm, and that's going to, you know, mess with my, with my, uh, my faith. <laughs> but, but since the group of guys, uh, of people who you have here, I don't think it's going to affect us that way. 
Hmm. Uh, did, I, did I make sense there? I hope I didn't. Yeah, yeah that's good. <laughs> that's good. I think kind of where I've been landing on lately is, uh, you know, I, I respect uh, people's need and desire to just want to do more of that devotional type of reading. Yeah. Um, but for me, like, I feel like the only time, like, I'm like, okay, like, I have a little bit of a problem with that. If it's the people who are making decisions in a church haven't moved past, like, a devotional reading of scripture, and they're not committed to, like, somehow getting that out, you know, like, mm -hmm. through, like, a teaching ministry or things like this. So that's kind of, like, where I've, I've been landing lately. Because I, I can remember, like, first being exposed to the Bible and first becoming someone who loves the Bible. Like I wouldn't trade those years for anything of just like, you know, sitting in a park, reading something and being like, wow, wow. And just like letting ideas hit me. Uh, you know, I look back at it now and I wish I had access to somebody who could have taught me some of these tools. Because uh, I think especially back then I was I was like ready for it. I just wanted to know more, you know, and, and eventually when you feel like you can hit a ceiling uh, and you don't you don't have access to some of those tools it can get like a, like a little discouraging, but awesome guys. Good, uh, good discussion. Andre, I see you've joined us. I like your profile picture. Yeah. Is that general grievous? <laughs> That's David Silverback. Uh, okay. <laughs> so cool guys. That, All right. That's some memory, Dwight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's move on here. All right. The next thing we're going to do is so we just talked about how <clears throat> the macro structure of Ephesians 1 through 3, and we will talk about, hopefully when we get there, uh, the rest of the macro structure of the second half of the letter. Remember, the first part is all about Paul wants you to have an experience of the apocalypse. He wants you to comprehend it, uh, of this revelation that he had that changed him so much. And the second part is all about, well, what's that response? What's the response to having such an apocalypse. So we are going to, we, now we're going to say, okay, but what about, what about the rest? Is there, is there also internal structure uh, inside, inside these letters? And we're going to spend more time on the first few chapters of Ephesians because there's so much in it. And Paul basically creates themes and he builds upon stuff that, uh, you know, he repeats throughout the letter. Um, so we're going to, we're going to spend more time there, but this, the second, the first, Second thing we're going to be looking at now is, what, is there a macro design to Ephesians 1, right? And the first thing we're going to look at is that big, long poem in the beginning, Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. And again, this is an opening poem. It is one sentence in the Greek. So I'm looking at my NIV Bible. I see, I see a few punctuations, a few periods that I want to scratch out and put like a semicolon or, or a comma. Uh, and in the ESV one that I have, they did a little better, um, but they, they still have a few, um, you know, so that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, this is one long sentence. And, you know, obviously there's eternal language clues in there because, you know, Greek was a language really without any punctuation to say that, okay, this is, this is one thought. But this was what Paul was trained in. And we talked about this when we, we went over rhetoric. This is something that, you know, this, this was a standard practice in the ancient world. We can look at like Cicero, who is said to be the master at this form, or we can read a guy, I believe his name is Epictetus, right? And he almost, when you read his stuff, he sounds almost exactly like Paul. It sounds like, oh, did we find the missing letter of Paul here? You can go and Google him 
and uh, read some of his letters. It's a, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting to do, but that's a, you know, that'd be, that'd be another class. It'd be a fun class to kind of look at all this different rhetoric, maybe for some, maybe not for everyone. Uh, all right. So it's one long sentence. So the second handout that I sent you guys is basically the logical flow of Ephesians. And it's the whole thing. Um, obviously, we're not going to do the whole thing today. Uh, but we are going to look at Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 in this in this translation. And a note about this transa- translation and the way it was set up. Okay, This is what you would consider a literary translation. So this is from uh, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. Uh, this is where I got this one from. So this is his translation. And so what he tried to do is he tried to preserve like the literary design. So if, if Paul is using the same word intentionally, he tries to keep that where that, that often makes bad English, right? So if, if someone turned in a paper, right, in an English class and everyone, and you kind of use like the same word for everything, you'd probably get like not such a good grade because in English, we like to change things, right? And these ancient documents, and especially in the Bible, the way that they did this is that they did it uh, so it would draw attention to it. So there's some cool highlights and stuff there too that we'll, we'll talk about some of them, not all of them. But uh, yeah, uh, Paul can be hard. <laughs> and one of the things that makes Paul hard is the way he constructs sentences like this. They're very long, they're very convoluted. But there is an actual logical train of thought. So you could look at this, right? And you could go to a BibleGateway.com. You could go to a Step Bible. You can go to a Blue Letter Bible. And you could like copy and paste and throw this onto a Word document. And you could easily just do this yourself, right? The uh, And if, you know, for whatever, you know, if we didn't know that Ephesians 3 to 14 was like one long sentence, it wouldn't really matter that much, right? We would know that, okay, this is obviously a song of praise after we read it enough. And then we can kind of just, we can get right in. We can get right into it. So we're going to do that together. And then we're going to talk about it. So beginning in our sentence diagram translation, the logical flow, right? And I have, I have mine here. You can, you can read it on the screen. I kind of printed it out for you guys just in case. Whatever. Some people are on their phones. And, uh, you know, maybe it's not a good setting to download a document but that's something for you to download later probably a good idea to print out so we can have it as we go through everything but let, let's go through it together so it's beginning in verse three blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus messiah who has blessed us with every blessing of the spirit in the heavens through the messiah it's a lot of blessings because he chose us in him before the foundation of the cosmos so that we would be holy and blameless before him and love having predestined us for adoption, sonship, through Jesus Messiah, unto himself, in accordance with the purpose of his will, resulting in praise for the glory of his grace. Let's uh, talk more about, let's talk more about that grace, right? You see, there's like a little arrow at the end of grace, and that kind of continues to show you, okay, there's more going on here. Glory of his grace which he graced us in the beloved one in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the richness of his grace, which he made abundant to us with all wisdom and understanding, having made known to us the open secret of his will 
in according with his purpose. It's a funny thing about that purpose. Let's get deeper into that purpose, which he pre-planned in him for the purpose of arranging the fullness of the times to head up all things together in Messiah, things in heaven and things in earth. In him, in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined accordance with the plan of the one who works all things according to the decision of his will, so that we would praise his glory. And it says we again, we, more about that we, who are the first ones to hope in the Messiah, in whom also you all, right, or you all, we get our first you all, having heard the word of truth, the good news of your all's, sorry, of your all's salvation, in whom also, having believed, you all were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who is the first installment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession, resulting in the praise of his glory. So <laughs> that can kind of be like, okay, wow. That's a that's a lot, you know. Could you imagine? Um, you know, if this almost sounds like a story your kid would tell you when he's trying to describe, or a child would tell you when he's trying to d- describe to you something amazing that happened, and it keeps going off into different different things. Or, uh, you know, sometimes I think you know men and women can be different. Sometimes we hear a woman tell a story, we'd be like, okay, I can't follow all of these trains of thought, you know. And my wife is usually like, what? what why are you so dumb? Why can't you? Why can't you follow? It's very simple. Uh, but yeah, so let's, let's dive into this and let's see if we can, we can figure some things out about all this. Cause there's obviously some intention in here. And again, after multiple reading readings, this is something that I'm sure many of you could, uh, find on your own, but we're, we're going to talk about it a little bit. So the first thing that we're going to notice is right in the beginning, we get the triune God. Did you guys, did you guys see that right away? Father, Messiah, and Spirit, right? And so that is actually going to give us the structure of this entire poem. So you have Father, Messiah, or Son, and the Spirit, and you're going to have three movements in this whole little section. And the movements are going to be determined by who's actually doing the action. So in movement one, you're going to get the Father, and movement two, you're going to get the Messiah, and movement three, you're going to get the Son. Right. So you can see that all right here. So in movement one, I'll go back to that. Right. We have the son. Right. Sorry, not the son, the father. Right. He chose us predestined in him and his son resulting. And the final thing is resulting in praise for the glory of his grace. So the father chose us. That's his action. He chose who? He chose, it's saying here, us, right? And we'll get to that, who that us is in a second. In him, the son. And then he gives you a little refrain, and that kind of ends all of the movements. So we get a nice little clue of where it ends. That little phrase, resulting praise for the glory of his grace. And we'll see that again and again in different movements. The second movement, (coughs) right here is the son, right? The son, redemption through his blood. Some things to be pointing out as you're reading it. Grace, a 
abundant and known, wants it to be abundant and known, what's that grace, that power uh, for a purpose. What was that purpose, right? And we get the second part in the movement. Uh, the father planned for him, the Messiah, to bring all things under heaven and earth under his head or all things together, right? There's an inheritance predestined. And then we have the end again so that we would praise his glory. So that's the ending of the second movement right there, right? And then the third one is the spirit, right? And that one is the same thing, the spirit. And then we get the we, right? The we here changes strangely into a you all or a you. We first to hope in the Messiah. Who is the first to hope in the Messiah? Right? It wasn't Christians. It was the Jews. It was Israel, right? First to hope in the Messiah, Israel. So you, Gentiles, or us, right, now are included. Heard and believed. Sealed by the promise, Holy Spirit. Let's read that again together. That that takes rereading. So we, who are the first ones to hope in the Messiah. So if you're with your Bible and you're making notes, you want to put there somewhere Israel, right? And then when you when you put in Israel, you realize all the rest of the poem was actually about Israel, right? We kind of come in at the end, in whom also you all, having heard the word of truth, the good news of you all's salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who is the first installment of our inheritance for the redemption of of the possession resulting in the praise of glory. We have that refrain again that kind of ends everything off for us. Okay. So it, this is, this is very, very interesting. So we have the structure of the poem that's given to us right in the beginning. And then we have the, we and the y'all. And so once you realize back in, you know, near the end of the poem in verse 13, where we finally get you all, right? We finally show up, the Gentiles or non-Israelites. It kind of, you know, I think for some could change some of the meaning of some of these verses, as hopefully we'll get to see today, or if not, we'll pick it up next week. Um, so what do you guys think about that? What do you about you think about remembering to who is the we, or it actually begins with us, right? Who is the us? Who is the we? And who is the all? Does that does that change anything for you guys the way you read it, or do you, can you see that changing that for other people? Because I know we're all in different places. Um, I, I I can definitely see how uh, it can change its meaning uh, for for people uh, because especially uh, as Christians we 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 believe that we are God's people. And so when, when scriptures refer to we, obviously they're talking about, <laughs> they're talking about us. Um, yeah. So when you, when you, when you read this and you realize, no, no, when, when he was saying we over there, he was, he was talking about Israel and, and then you, well, that, that's, and that's us. So uh, it definitely changes, definitely changes it. it to me, it's more humbling. Um, then coming from uh, the adoption as opposed to the the birthright almost, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I like it. I, I think that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
I think had a similar experience, you know, like I had a little bit of a disappointment when I first read it uh, because, you know, when I first realized this, because I was like, you know, when you, when you start it, um, let's say praise be to the Godfather. I'm reading it in the NIV now of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. I'm like, oh, Paul's a Christian. I'm a Christian. He's talking about me, you know? Uh, so there was a little bit first of like, oh, okay. This, this isn't necessarily talking about me until the end of it. Um, you know, and, but eventually I learned to re- really appreciate it. And I hope everyone yeah. listening will as well. Anyone else? Yeah, I think it, um, like what David said, I know when I first started hearing these things, um, uh, a few years ago, uh, I think, you know, when I first, I think it was in Bamo when he was first going through the letters and he was really starting mm-hmm. to accentuate like the we and the us. And I was going, Oh, wow. I, I felt exactly what David said. Mm-hmm. And I felt exactly what you said. Like, Oh snap, that's not me. But like, I think like this stuff here is the, is actually the reason why, if we only look at these letters like devotionals, I'm not trying to harp on them, we may not even understand what we're reading in devotionals because we don't even understand who this stuff is being addressed to. Right. So then all we really walk away with is, well, what's the moral code? And that's good, like that can always be good, you know, but like it's so much deeper than just a moral code because that only transforms you like from the outside, but when you start to understand this stuff, every time you learn something, it like starts to like excite you and inspire you. And of course you want to do the right moral thing anyway. Like that's just kind of like almost a given. Um, so I think it's really huge because this stuff, from, I'm still like trying to wrap my head around all of it, but it really helps me to see my place in the story. And it really helps me to see what God is doing. Uh, and it really helps me see how much bigger it is than just one little group at, yeah. or, or one set of doctrines and beliefs. It's, it's something so like grand and I just never caught on to it. So I think it's huge. And I'm like, you know, so I, I appreciate it because like, it's just easy to fall right back into the other way of reading it. If you're not prepared, like for me, I almost kind of need like, like a cheat sheet whenever I read my like Bible to remember, Oh, this is this, this is this, this is this. So then I just kind of go and read it that way because otherwise I have a default way that has been in my brain for so long um, mm. that I'll default to. So this is awesome stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. It everything. Yeah, it, it is really cool. And it, the thing I really like about it is that you don't even need to really understand Greek or but even if you didn't know that you really meant you all, right, or all of you, you can see like right just from following the pronouns and who those pronouns are like kind of like what's going on. Like, you know, the biggest clue, you know, being, you know, when he says, you know, we were the first in whom we have attained the inheritance. Where is it? Yeah. Can't find it now. So, you, you know, you, when you're f- trying to find something, you can never find it. <laughs> Is it one eleven? Uh, no, I don't think that's it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It happens, guys. Uh, yeah, so you know, you can just you can just follow oh, from the internal clues right there. Right. Verse twelve. Verse twelve. Yes, we were the first who believed. Yep. 
Very good. The hope of the Messiah. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Yeah, right in verse 12. Right in verse 12. Right there, you'd get there and you'd be like, wait a minute, we weren't the first. Right? Christians weren't first. This is an old, ancient religion. You know, ancient even in their day. Right? You know, it was it's ancient to us in terms of its origin, but to them, it was also ancient. Right? If you think about all the years, thousands of years that separates us from Abraham, right? It's about equivalent, if you think about it, you know? not that that far off so yeah perfect thank you thank you so something cool that you can just see even without knowing greek without knowing anything you can kind of just get right in now here's another question i have you for you is this something that you would find useful to show others do you consider this information helpful or dangerous why or why not so if you were going to do a bible talk or you know you were talking with somebody and you saw that they had a misunderstanding of some of these verses, right? Because, you know, is that something that you would point out to them? Would Do you think that would be helpful or that wouldn't be helpful? I think it'd be very helpful mm -hmm. uh, because some of the biggest misunderstandings is, uh, come from not being able to parse this out and, you know, just always... Um, just defaulting to what people have heard in the past or just, you know, not understanding where it's coming from, um, taking them on a, on a different path. So if you, if you understand, you know, the Greek, you know, where Paul is coming from, the fact that, you know, it was the Jews who were the first to understand, or first to, first to believe the, you know, it, it puts a whole different, uh, direction a whole different path on it so that if somebody is going off in a different direction it just totally directs them back back so you know it's only dangerous if somebody just absolutely decides they're not going to do it they're not going to believe it you know if they're just going to totally discount it i i don't see how it could be dangerous to me mm. good i go for a minute right um but i think that it is dangerous only to people that feel they have to protect something. Right. Like if learning something new is a threat to me, to my belief system, or to what makes me feel secure, whatever, then then it, it feels dangerous. But if I'm already secure, that like I don't I don't know everything. So like if I'm already secure that God loves me whether I know everything or don't, then this stuff can become really exciting. Yeah. Then it's not dangerous. Um, but I guess it really all depends the person you're sharing it with, where they're getting their security from. Yeah. Okay. I, I think the danger comes in not understanding it, hmm. um, because then we're we, if we don't understand it, we're we're reading into scripture things that aren't there, or we imposing our belief system into what the scriptures are saying, and, and that that can be very dangerous, as we've yeah. probably seen throughout history. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally, guys. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I you know, it, I, I get what you guys are saying. So it's if it if you have something, okay, I don't have anything to protect. Uh, you know, my salvation is not based on necessarily I have to know all the right things, right, to to be good with God, right? It does kind of open up the door a little bit where like, you know, you can be wrong, you can learn things, you can change, grow and adapt, all right? <laughs> 
We all, we all love that. We all love to say that we love to change, grow and adapt. Uh, I know I like to think of myself as a person who likes to change, grow and adapt until I'm confronted with something that I need to change, grow and adapt in. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> Just ask my wife. You know, I'm always like, no, no, I think, I think I'm fine. I think maybe you need to change some things here. She's saying in the chat. Yes. I didn't even know she could, you know, I was really quick typing. I was almost instant. Uh, so it's one of those things, guys, that, you know, it's just, I think it's something to always remember, you know, and treat things like a little bit of humility that, you know, yeah, it's, it's all good when other people need to change, but, you know, just keeping yourself grounded and being like, you know, and I think everyone on this calls is in a really good place in terms of like, you know, you, you're taking a class like this, like, you know, we want Paul to be strange again. We want to learn things. We want to grow, change and adapt. So that's, I think the, I think the last thing I'd ever want to be in the end is a blind guide. Mm. You know, yeah. someone who is not willing to see something and then end up leading others like a blind leading the blind because I'm not willing to see it and change. You know, if it's if it's there and it's finally there and I should see it and I'm just willing I'm just so tied up in what I've always believed and not willing to say, oh, hey, I was wrong and here's some things I need to reconsider. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And that that's good. I think that's a great place, you know, for all of us to be, you know, no matter if you're here in the room or you're listening to us uh, either live or for the recording. I know there's, there's a few of you who do the recordings. So the other thing we want to point out in uh, this poem is a, uh, Paul's seeming obsession with the word blessing, right? And where he got that from. So it's right in verse three. I'll read it in the NIV. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, right? So he has a bunch of blessings there. And so why, why is that? Why is he obsessed with these blessings? Um, where did he get it from? And then if you kind of go through Ephesians and you kind of count some of the blessings, right? And we kind of we kind of did an exercise last week where we read through this and we're like, okay, this is almost like a storehouse for popular Christian things. What are some of the ones that we can pick out? It was just me, uh, Dwight, and Andre. And some of the things we came up with was like election or you know chosenness, being predestined, right? These totally aren't hot topics at all. In Christianity, you know, <laughs> adoption as God's children, grace, grace, that's something else that we can all agree on, right? Grace and how that works. Uh, said no one ever. Uh, redemption, what does that mean? How does that happen? Forgiveness of sins, what is even a sin? How do you be forgiven of them? You know, knowledge of God's secret purpose, like w- what is that? You know, that that's another blessing that happens here. Uh, hope, of a future inheritance. What, what does that mean? What does that future inheritance mean? What does it have to do with me? Uh, in the presence of God's spirit. How does God's spirit act in the world? How is it acting right now? Right? You know, mm-hmm. it's scriptures, you know, seem to say that it's acting. Uh, I don't know, you know, if, you know, the normal Christian on the street could point out how or, or what that's doing. So we're going to try and decode some of that. And the ones that we're going to try and do, we're going to try and find uh, election, predestination, and grace. We're going to try and unpack some of those, although I don't think we'll get to all of them today. 
And part of the problem with with Paul, and if this particular section of, of his letters in particular, where it really does see, seem like this is where all the popular Christian like vocabulary or kind of terms come from. This is kind of like where they all went to retire and we all kind of like pick them out whenever we need them. Um, you know, is we again, we need to try and unlearn what we think these terms mean. So whenever, you know, we say this often in the podcast as well, whenever you come across a word that you wouldn't use in regular life, like repentance, like sin, right? Like transfiguration, like all these things, you need to kind of like take a step back and be like, well, what am I actually reading here? You know? And we don't want to put into Paul's mouth uh, arguments or thoughts from people who lived hundreds of years after he died. Right. What we want to do is we want to, as much as possible, put ourselves in Paul's shoes. We want to try and take Paul more seriously. And we want to either let Paul define what he means by these terms, which unfortunately he rarely does, or we want to look at what were his sources. And as we talked uh, on one of our Sunday seminars, his sources was always uh, the Bible or the Hebrew scriptures, right? Because there was no entire Bible the way we know it. Or another way of saying it would be the Tanakh, right? So, you know, the first thing we can do is we can kind of follow the blessings. Uh, actually, before we do that, let's do something else. So what most people would say, you know, the Christian story is all about would be would be this. And this is this is a graphic that I made for uh, our podcast that we did on heaven and hell uh, and heaven and earth, which, which is a great series. I thought we were going to knock it off in like one or two episodes. I think we ended up doing like seven on it or something like that. It was, it was a lot. Um, but a lot of people assume this is what the worldview was that Paul was working with, right? There's earth, there's us on the earth. And then there's a big problem, right? We're in sin, right? And because we're in sin, we're going to go downwards to the bad place. And we usually ascribe that, as being hell, right? That's how little have the little flames there. Um, but because Jesus died, right, rose from the dead and resurrected, right? If we believe, if if we believe the right things, if we know the right things, if if we're one of those that are saved, and that's a whole other topic we can hopefully talk about later, about how, you know, how do you get saved and all that that fun stuff. Um, you know, you you go to heaven, you know. So this. This, in many ways, is kind of what I think many people, when they're going to read Paul for the first time, they assume that this is what Paul had in mind when he was writing his letters. This is this is the way I was first introduced to Christianity uh, when I was in college, you know. And this is something that it's it's nice and tight. It's very very clear. Um, it's something that you could understand, you know, really really well. Um, but. One of the problems of this is that this is not necessarily, this is very useful in terms of like, if you're trying to tell people what Christianity is all about, you have a few, you have a few minutes, you're going to tell it to them, and then you're going to ask them to make a decision, right? It's very useful for that. But what it's not very useful for is reading the Bible. And I know this because when I, when I had this story in my head and I first read the Bible for the first time, I was very, very, very confused and I wasn't sure exactly uh, where to go with the whole thing. Cause I was like, this, this doesn't seem, I don't see this used this way in, in the scriptures. You know, I see something else going on 
And the Bible is a long, complex book. And the first time you read it, you have really no idea what, it, what it's all about. You know, you need help or multiple, multiple readings. Uh, you know, what Paul actually had in his head was more like this. And this is kind of what we did, uh, you know, in one of our opening seminars where we kind of talked about Paul's, Paul's big worldview. Paul had a different kind of thing on his mind when he was going in and writing his letters. It wasn't as simple as just this. It was, it was much more complicated. It was the entire story of the Hebrew scriptures from the opening in the beginning to the closing, you know, in Ezekiel, right? No, well, not Ezekiel. In the closing of the writings, right, with all that stuff. But Ezekiel is a nice way to close out with the temple being restored uh, and there being a new city and the name of the city being Yahweh is there, you know? So that that's kind of cool. Paul's, Paul's world view. So he had a, a different thing going on. He had a different set of questions than the ones that, you know, we can often bring to Paul when we're going, when we're going through all this, right? And so we can follow the blessing and we can make this story a lot more manageable. Now, something like this, this can give people Ajita. I'm not really sure what Ajita is, but I know that like I would give uh, the business office that whenever I handed in documents that weren't well done when I worked for the YMCA, I was always giving them Ajita. So I think it's some type of stress, you know, but you can see this, you can see like what's going on, there's all these different colors, right? But you can literally just follow the blessing, right? And you can kind of like figure out what this is in the story of scripture relatively quickly. Um, oh, one thing that we should say before we, we kind of dive in here, we're kind of running out of time here, is that even though it does say, you know, spiritual blessing in verse three, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean what we often import onto that, that word. For Paul, that would mean the spiritual blessing, like it comes from the spirit, not necessarily like it's invisible, right? He, he wouldn't have had that that concept in his head, because that's just not the way it's written. Spiritual blessing would would have been like an actual blessing that you could see. It's something that's doing something in your life, but it comes from the spirit, not from uh, earth, not from man, right? <clears throat> so, so it seems to be important. Paul mentions it a whole bunch of times in his opening, but we can kind of trace the whole thing. And I'll, I'll show it to you guys here. This is a simpler drawing done uh, by my friend, Dr. Tim Mackey. Um, he, used, he brings this drawing out a lot in a lot of his classes, a lot of the things he does. So the first one would be, you know, my version of the story that most of us import. You have God plus me or we, depending on your church tradition. And the big problem is sin, right? But because we were elected, right now we're going into this election language. So if you have that, uh, that word election in your mind with this story, it's, it's a very easy logical conclusion to say, okay, there are going to be some people who are predestined or elected to go to hell and burn for eternity, or certain people who are going to be predestined and elected to go to heaven, to go to the good place, right? Because you're importing that story. It's like Paul is obviously saying uh, what I think. But when you think about what, what uh, story Paul must have had in his head, and again, it's that big, whole, big, long, convoluted story. It's going to be made nice and simple for us here. In the beginning, you have humanity, right? And if even if you just go in your Bible, right, to Genesis 1, it's right there. What did God do when he made man and human, man and, man and women, right? He made Adam and Eve, 
human and life. What did he, what did he do? He blessed them. Yeah. Right. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Right. And then we, we all know that that went horrible. <laughs> it kept getting worse and worse. They were commanded to fill the earth, but instead of filling it with blessing, right. Instead of filling it with life, they filled it with violence and blood. So, and it, culminates in the story of the Tower of Babylon, right? When God, when God scatters all the people by confusing the language. But through that scattering, if you read that gene- genealogy, something amazing happens. You get Abe, right? Or Abraham. You get Abraham. Abraham inherits that blessing that was supposed to be for all of humanity. And from Abraham comes Israel. And from Israel comes the Messiah, right? And the Messiah, Jesus, resolves two problems at the same time because the goal of giving the blessing to Abraham and to Israel, right? Was through Abraham's seed or the messianic line of David, all of the nations or all of humanity was supposed to be blessed. This was something that was supposed to happen, but because Israel just could never get it together correctly, right? They, they were not a blessing. Often they were, they were a form of curse both to themselves and to the nations around them. They were a source of death, right? Uh, God had to do something. And through the Messiah, he fulfills the story of Israel, right? And he also bring, transfers that blessing back to all nations. So when you, when you kind of see it laid out all like this, it, you know, it changes things. So when you approach Paul, it really all has to do with what story Am I carrying in my head? Am I carrying, you know, a story that Paul probably didn't have in his mind? Or am I carrying a story that, you know, he would have had in his mind because, you know, this is the way, you know, you don't even need the New Testament at this point. (laughs) All you need is the Hebrew Bible. It's all right there, especially if you've been trained to read it correctly. So what do you guys think about, and we'll close this with with a little discussion, about having the wrong story in your head when reading Paul or any of the Bible part of the Bible in particular, does that drastically change how we read and respond to what we, what we read in scriptures? What do you guys think? I think uh, it absolutely does. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Nick. No, I, I, I respect it. Go ahead. I want to hear what you're thinking. Nick, where are you going to oh. start? Oh, no, I was going to let you go first. Don't worry about it. Go for it, Dwight. I'll pick. Well, I, I mean, you, you have this story, you know, from from growing up and all your your Bible stories and your, everything you learned from the beginning, and then you you come to a, you start uncovering the onion and everything, getting back down to the core of what it really should have been, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, yes. Um, it, it totally changes your whole outlook on everything. And it's like, well, this is, this is, this is like, actually it's, it's, um, it's more of a relief of mm-hmm. like, you're not this tightrope and everything, you know, you've got a God of redemption instead of a God of, you know, constantly being on this tightrope and, you know, uh, it, it definitely, changes the way you even look at the story. You believe in the story from the beginning to the end. 
to me, it changes even the way Paul's letters are, are written. So it changes the way I, I read the Bible. Yes. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, no, I feel like, um, this is kind of the point I was trying to make earlier. Hmm. Um, this is the point I was trying to make earlier about why we, when we read the Bible the other way, that's why people are so caught up in, I need to change, I need the devotional to change, I need to figure out how to get right with God. Like, you know, Dwight just said it, it's a tightrope. People are living a tightrope. And, they're, they're, you know, so this is the freedom that comes from understanding the story differently. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. Cool. I appreciate that. Another interesting question, though, too, is how can we be sure that we we have the correct story? You know, we're not misunderstanding something or our tradition didn't hand us down a story that's, you know, not necessarily a biblical story. Uh, what are you guys thoughts there? Well, I mean, I think for me, you know, I'm coming from a place of spending 25 years with one story and then, you know, for three or four years, seeing it differently, learning it, and I'm living it, I'm testing it, mm. um, and I'm seeing its consistency. So for me, like, um, you know, like I, I keep thinking of even, you know, I, I think of like the Sermon on the Mount for me, like when I try and live that, it's like I feel like I'm fulfilling the story because it's just about being generous, being kind, being merciful, walking the extra mile, turning the other cheek, not judging people. Um, like, and, and I kind of go like, oh, it's about being a blessing to others. You know what I mean? And it's like, and I, I see that and I kind of go, oh, this is consistent through the whole book. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, um, Obviously, I didn't know I was had the wrong story for years. Right. There were times when I, I thought, "Hey, this doesn't feel right. Something just doesn't add up." But I was, I felt like, "Well, I'm arguing with God. How can I argue with the Bible?" Because I had this lens that I was looking at it through. So it was very, very distressing and it was hard. But once some things got shown to me uh, over time, like I realized, like, "Oh, wow! Like, I can kind of test it. I can keep putting it into practice, and it just..." It's, I just, it's just, it proves itself in a sense because it's just like, it's so consistent throughout. And you've showed us that and other stuff before, but it's just so much consistency throughout the whole Bible. Right. Um, so that's why I feel more confident now about this. Um, and then I look at the, the life I'm trying to live and I'm like, yeah, I'm not perfect, but man, I'm trying to live this different life of just, just making the world a better place and mm. just, you know, bringing peace and, and healing and, and, you know, obviously, you know, the phrase of bringing heaven to earth, but like, I'm living this different life and I kind of go like, yeah, like I'm kind of doing all the things I want to do before, but I'm, I'm doing it from a different motive and a different perspective, different foundation. And it's beautiful. So I think that part of that, and it reminds me of the Jesus when he says, if anyone chooses to do God's will, they'll know whether my teachings come from um, God or whether they come or whether I speak on my own. Um, but yeah, there's just something about it that for me personally, because of my journey, but I think with someone else's journey, I, I don't know, like they're going to have to, yeah, you know, you know, yeah. um, go for you it. Know, I, I, as we're sitting here going through this, I, I'm, I'm trying to going through my head as to, 
was I ever told this story or this, uh, you know, uh, the first one that, that you that you put up there was God, me, heaven, hell. Yeah. Or or did I or did I come with that idea already hmm. like uh, programmed into me just through 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 life before I ever picked up the Bible and, um, you know, compared to some of the guys here, I'm <laughs> I'm a young Christian compared to. to 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 the wealth of experience that's that's in this in this uh, in this class, so uh, and I don't recall anybody ever giving me this story of you know heaven hell in 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 our tradition. If they did, it's not coming to mind. I think this is something that I had uh, just brought with me from just living in in the United States. I guess, <laughs> I guess it just. Yeah. hearing what christianity was supposed to be um but uh but seeing it in the other way in the in like uh, nick said over the last couple of years kind of seeing for me it's been the last couple of years uh seeing uh this heaven and earth and you know what what heaven and and hell and and all that uh in a, from this different point of view uh, I, I'm going to echo what Nick says. It changed. It changes the. It didn't. Hasn't changed any of my actual my actions, but it does change uh, the perspective in which I'm I'm a, I'm viewing life or, or or interacting with with humanity as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. No. That that's interesting. That it could just kind of be something that it's in the atmosphere. You know, because even talking to you know people who are, are not Christians. Uh, in this uh, coaching community that I'm part of, like for whatever reason, whenever they get me talking about the Bible, they get very, very interested. And, uh, you know, they, they, they were shocked too, that that wasn't actually the story of the Bible about, you know, cause they'd be like, Oh, I, I opt out of Christianity. I don't believe in a, a heaven or a hell, you know, or I don't believe in hell basically. And they'd be like, Oh, that's great. Neither does the Bible, you know, really in the way that you're, you're thinking about it, you know? So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. It's, we've had some really great, we actually did me and my friend, uh, Lance, we did a live stream on that where we kind of talked through some of this stuff. It was it was pretty it was a really really cool conversation. Shout out to Dr. Lance wherever you are. Um, so cool guys, uh, we're gonna end here. Uh, next week we'll pick up around here. We will you know we've kind of followed the blessing through scripture. Um, that's something that we might touch on again uh, for next week, and then we'll kind of like we'll also connect that with this idea of predestination and election and see if like the scriptures can give us some type of guide. Uh, Cause one thing I do want to say and, and trying to be like, okay, do I have the right story here? Like, am, am I, am I tracking with the right things? The cool thing about it is that the Hebrew Bible is both very long and very complex and there are internal clues. And the new Testament is the same. The new Testament is just as complex as the old, as the old, right. Or the Hebrew scriptures. And there are internal clues there of the way things have been structured and the way different texts talk to each other that to a high degree of certainty, we can kind of really be, you know, we can kind of understand at least the questions that the Bible is trying to answer. Those questions might not be the questions that we want answered, right? When we bring our own questions to the text. Uh, but uh, it is, you know, something that the Bible is pretty clear in terms of like, these are the things that it's, it's trying to say. Even if it doesn't necessarily give the answers the way we'd want it, it does frame the questions quite nicely. And there's a lot of internal clues or structure the thing that's coming to mind right now is even in the Psalms, the Psalms have an overall structure that most of us don't notice because we don't read them enough. 
Uh, but you know, that basically retell the entire story of um, Israel from its conception to its exile. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys for everything. Uh, you guys rock. Uh, please be continuing. Read on in your book uh, the next two chapters of How God Became King. It's going to be uh, really helpful for everything we're doing. And if you're just listening to us, please consider liking our podcast, liking the stuff we do, supporting us on Patreon. It helps us do all of this great and rad stuff. Guys, thank you so much for showing up. I am looking forward to talking to you guys throughout the week and seeing you guys hopefully back here next week. Thank you all. Good night, guys. Um, Good night, guys. Good night.